Good morning once again. Welcome to Calvary Baptist. Welcome to week three of our series, Love Endgame. I'm super excited for this. This series is for students. This series is for adults. This series is for young people, for graduates and singles. This series is for married people who want to stay that way. Uh, This series is for anybody in a romantic relationship or who wants to be in a romantic relationship who's trying to figure it out because it's not easy. Whether you're 13 or 26 or 16 or 56 or anything in between, it's not easy. It's complicated. And it is messy at times and relationships are difficult. And Jesus has a lot to say about relationships He said a ton about relationships, and the Bible, the New Testament specifically, says a lot about relationships. And this gives me a chance to talk about something that not only breaks my heart, but breaks a lot of our hearts. It breaks our heart as a church. We're a church where broken people find hope. And one of the things that breaks our heart collectively as a church is when we see people making relationship choices that undermine their own relationships. Right? You have friends that do that, and it's just like, oh, why? Why are you doing that? You're just wrecking things. You're hurting yourself, and you care about them, and you love them, and we all care about them, and we all love them, and, and yet they make these choices. And so this series is so that we can collectively say, hey, these are things that we believe. We believe what the Bible says about love and how we should treat each other and how we should live and how we should do life together so that, that we can create the kind of families and homes that we really want. Not waiting for it to just magically happen, but so that we can do the work as individuals, as husbands, wives, moms, dads, kids, to do the work to follow Christ in our homes and create these kind of places. Because it breaks our heart. And so this series is not about finding the right person, though we're going to talk a lot about character qualities that you want to look for in someone. This series is, is mostly about becoming the right person. It's about becoming the right person. Because if you'll follow Christ, if you'll be a disciple of Jesus, then he will lead you to become a better you, a new you. And Jesus' invitation wasn't just to pray to me or to promise me or to negotiate with me. Jesus' invitation was always from day one, follow me, follow me. To become a follower and a disciple of Jesus, to do what Jesus did, to go where he goes and to do what he calls us to do. And so what does, where does following Jesus lead? It always leads to love. It takes you somewhere simple, memorable, demanding, and rewarding. It takes you to love. And we started this series in John chapter 15, and this is kind of our springboard verse. This is Jesus' commandment that he gives. And everything else in the New Testament kind of fits around this. It's all about helping us figure out how to do this thing that Jesus commanded us well. This is my commandment, Jesus told his disciples, that you love one another. And not just love one another any way you feel like it or you think is appropriate, but that you love one another as I have loved you. And they didn't understand this. They were like, okay, well, Jesus has been a nice guy. But then when he died on the cross and he rose again, they discovered, oh, that's what he was talking about. He was talking about sacrifice. and That's a whole different kind of love. That's not the kind of love that we we experience oftentimes in our relationships. That's a special kind of love. That's the kind of love that is supernatural. And that's what Christ calls us to. Love each other as I have loved you. It's a whole other kind of love. 
And so today we're going to continue talking about the fine print. Last week we started talking about the fine print, and this week we're going to continue talking about the fine print, because there's always fine print. Uh, you know, you come and everything, Pastor Ron just said to just love people, and so all you need is love, it was a Beatles song, and then we were done. Um, nope, there's some fine print, and the fine print will make you fine, all right? Think about it, Little little pun there for you. Uh, the fine print will make you fine, and it will make you better at relationships. So, um, if you're listening today and you are a young person, you have an incredible opportunity because I'm almost 40, uh, 39 this year. I'm almost there, the big 4-0 next year. And you have an incredible opportunity if you're a young person still living at home because you have the opportunity to practice all of this fine print. You have this opportunity to practice the fine print. And I was a youth pastor for years and years and years and we talked to teenagers and would say, you need to respect your mom. You need to respect your family. You need to respect your brother or your sister. You need to treat them with love and kindness and all these things that Jesus teaches. Well, I will, you know, but they're just my mom. It's just my mom. Like, do I really have to do that? It's just my mom, Pastor Ron. And the problem is that it's just my mom eventually turns into... It's just my wife, right? It's just my kids. The next thing you know, you've become somebody that you never really wanted to become because you didn't practice these things that Jesus teaches. Because these things don't come naturally. They have to be exercised and practiced, and they're hard. So practice them at home, right? If it's just your mom, well, then might as well practice on her so that you're ready when you find your mate someday. So Paul followed up with the fine print. And you guys have this incredible opportunity. So Paul unpacks and applies Jesus' new command. And he says, this is what it looks like to love as Jesus has loved us. We started in 1 Corinthians 13 last week. We've been reading this every week. It's the love chapter. Seems like a good place to go. So verse 4, love is patient. You guys remember that? And hopefully you talked about it last week. Um, every week after church, you know, a bunch of people go out to eat, and I end up at a table with a bunch of people. And so I ask them, you know, which one do you struggle with? Is it patience? Is it kindness? Is it letting other people shine? Or is it that dishonor thing where you dishonor other people and you're disrespectful to them? And the patience piece is all about moving at the speed of other people. It's not being so pushy. Love never pushes. If somebody's pushy, they're not loving. Okay? Patience. And I really struggle with that one. I struggled with it last week. I struggled with it the week before. You can ask my wife. I struggle with this. It comes up a lot. I'm like, just last night, I'm like, when are we going to have supper? I know. Like, that's like the worst, most cliched thing to think. I worked all day. I was starving. And supper was running a little bit late. And I was not loving. That's the word. Patience loving I wasn't loving it's hard and it stuck me right here and I'm like oh man I gotta do this thing I'm preaching like it's hard but I have to exercise it and work on it or I'll never get better love is never pushy God accommodates to our pace so that we are to accommodate to the pace of others the next one is love is kind and kindness is is pretty simple kindness is your reaction to others weakness when others are weak when you have a one-up on them. When you, get, you have this moment to like lord it over them and take them out and you are strong and they are weak and you could just crush them, you know. What do you do with that moment? What do you do with that power? 
that you have in that instance? Do you take it and crush their bones? Or are you kind and merciful and gentle? Kindness is your response to weakness. If you see someone that is unkind, and last week we said this, if someone is kind as a means to an end, oftentimes they end up mean in the end. Right? Kindness is our response to others' weakness. And Jesus didn't respond to our weakness by crushing us into the ground. He still doesn't. God doesn't do that. He responded by dying because we were weak. By taking, by loaning us His strength. And that's what kindness is. It's loaning other people your strength in that moment. I will do what you cannot do for you. And I will not lord this over you. The next one is love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or proud. Love lets the other person shine. It doesn't have a problem with other people being in the spotlight. If you ever catch yourself one-upping people, you know, they say, man, I just did this. You know, like Pastor Joe just told me, he got five years clean driving, five years safe driver with the bus company. He, dr- he drives a school bus. It's one of the things he does in the community to serve the community. And um, five years safe driver. I don't think I've ever had five years safe driver. <laughs> but, you know, if I were to come along and be like, well, it's been like, what, like six years since I had an accident. You know, good for you, la-di-da. That would one-upping. You, anybody have a friend like that that just one-ups everything you say? You know, you're like, I love spinach. No, you don't. I love spinach more. You know, it's like, what? It is, it just, just cannot stand to let somebody have the spotlight for a little bit. And they have to always jump in and one-up and tell a story or, or push them out. If that's you, that's a problem. That's a problem because love does not envy or boast. It doesn't. It likes to let other people shine and encourages them. It says, yes, that's awesome that you got that five years. That is so incredible. I would love to have that. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> love allows the other person to shine. The last one is love is not rude. And it does not dishonor others. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. We're going to get there in a second. But um, I'm kind of on the edge there in that millennial generation. And I remember much of our generation was about slaying the sacred cows and saying that all this manner stuff and this weird thing and this etiquette is just ridiculous and boring. And I spent a lot of time thinking that, you know. Let's just be real. Let's be authentic. You know, why do we have to be so stuffy? And I've learned as I get older that manners, all manners are, is an outward expression of my inner feeling about you. It's an outward expression of my inner feelings of honor and respect for you. And that's how it's received. When we use manners in our culture and in our society, it's a way of me displaying publicly, of showing you that I honor you, showing you that I respect you by the way I sit at the table, by the way I carry myself, by the things I don't do in mixed company. It's a way of showing I respect you. And we need more of that in our society. We need more of that, not less. And I think it's cool that when you're with friends, you could cut up and you can be silly. But there's a place for us to be honoring to each other with outward expressions of manners. And if we are dishonoring to each other, well, that's, that's really dangerous because love does not behave disgracefully or indecently. It treats others as if they are more 
important. Not because they are more important, but it treats them as if they're more important than we are. Love treats the other person as if they're more important. And we said, everybody knows how to do this. If you, had, if you want a dinner with a famous person, like a movie star or a musician or something that you really, really like, and you like, want a meal with them and you were to go out to eat with them, you would know exactly how to carry yourself. I would know exactly how to carry myself, and I would sit upright, and I would treat them, and I would stand up, oh, I'm so glad to, glad to meet you, you know, it's, it's awesome. And if they were late, I wouldn't yell at them like I yell at my wife when she's late. I'd be like, oh, no, no, it's no problem, Denzel, you know, it's, the honor's all mine, I'm so glad we get to meet together. Meanwhile, the people that I supposedly care about the most, do they get that same level of honor? They should. And if they don't, if you're like me and you're like, we've got to work on that. We've got to work on that. To be a church where broken people find hope, we have to honor each other. We have to be patient. We have to be kind. And now we pick up this week, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love does not insist on its own way. <sighs> okay. Love does not insist on its own way. This one's hard. Are we sure that's in the Bible? Does somebody have a different version we could check and make sure? Love does not insist on its own way. It does not insist on its own way. In the KJV it says, it seeketh not her own. And unfortunately that means the same thing. It doesn't seek their own. It's not selfish. It's not selfish. Love is not selfish. It puts the interests and needs of others First, love puts the interests and the needs of other people first. And if we did that, it would solve all our relationship problems. It would solve all our political problems. It would solve all of our relationship problems, not just romantic, but friendship relationships, business relationships. You know, if our, our biggest problem in our relationships was people saying, no, you first, no, you first, no, no, I insist, you first, no, you first, no, you first. I think we could figure that one out right? <laughs> if we just had too much honor in our relationships with each other. Love puts the other person first. Because the problem is always that somebody isn't getting what they deserve. Somebody isn't getting what they deserve. Next time you're in an argument, just stop, say time out here and say, well, you know what the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. <laughs> and they're going to go, no, duh! I'm not getting what I want! And then you can both pause and be like, Okay, so that's the reality, right? I'm not getting what I want. You're not getting what you want. And we can't agree on how to fix it. We can't. We can't agree on how to fix it. And we have all these communication skills and abilities to try to figure out and come to like a way that you get what you want and I get what I want. And they, they have the Harvard Business Review, you know, getting to yes and, you know, non-zero-sub negotiations. And all those are really cool things. But at the end of the day, sometimes my wife getting what she wants and me getting what I want at the same time is just impossible. It's impossible. It can't happen. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I'm not getting what I want here. What happens if you give a child everything they want? They grow up. What's that? A no, not a spoiled child, Steve. If you, everybody knows if you give a child everything they want, especially when they cry or yell, 
They'll grow up into a well-adjusted, well-balanced adult capable to, to sacrifice for others, knowing, why are you guys laughing? That's not how it works? Is that not how it works? Oh my goodness. Lucas, we're going to have to go back, man. i got to take all the stuff I gave you away. We know that if you give a child, obviously, if you give a child everything they want, you're going to create a spoiled brat. You're going to create a nightmare, right? And all the kids are like, no, that's not how it works. Try me. <laughs> Try me. They'll become spoiled. And what is a spoiled brat? A spoiled brat is someone who demands they get what they want and throws a fit when they don't get it. I need what I want, and I'm going to throw a fit if I don't get it. They think the other person is harming them when they say no. It's harm. It's personal harm. You are harming me. How dare you say no to me? Do you hate me? Do you despise? Well, you want me to die? Like, why would you say no to me? Why? Why can't I have 36 juice boxes, Mommy? Why can't I have 36 juice boxes? Because you just, what do you mean I just opened one? That one's cold. That one's not, not cold. It's warm. You know, I just opened it five minutes ago. I want a new one. And you're going to give it to me now, or I'm going to throw a fit. Why do you hate me? How do you deal with a child that throws a fit when they don't get what they want? Some of you guys are like, I don't know, please tell me, please tell me. Some of you guys are like, we just got to get that mountain anymore. <laughs> okay, how do we do that without becoming like child abusers, you know? Because that doesn't work either. We just create trauma, you know, send them to counseling. <laughs> what do we do? Oh, I can tell you what I did with my kids. Um, they went through a season of throwing a fit, and it was, you know, not cool. It's not a good thing. Your kid's screaming and you're throwing a fit and you're in public and you're like, oh my goodness, everybody thinks I hate them and this is bad. And so what I would do is I would, um, I would pick them up and I would say, oh my goodness, you seem really upset. I know you didn't get a juice box and that probably really bothers you. I understand that you're upset and I, I get upset and sometimes I need to throw a fit too. So I totally get it. You could totally throw a fit. You just can't do it here because I'm trying to watch TV. Your mom's trying to cook dinner, you know, and I'm, I can't, like, hear in my Xbox chat. And, like, so you're going to have to go throw your fit in your room. And as soon as you're done and you've got it all out and you've got your fit all done, then by all means, come on back. And, then of course, they're not going to listen to you. They're just going to keep screaming. So I would pick him up when I was – they're getting too big to pick up now. <laughs> but I would pick him up and take him to his room and put him in the room. And they'd be like, hey, go ahead and throw your fit. I'll be in the other room playing Xbox. Um, when you're done, just come on out. So then I'd go out, and they would follow me out of the room, you know, and be like, no, no, you've got to stay in there. You can't fit us over there. That's not a fit place. This is a fit place. So you stay in here, and then they would, they would scream louder, right? Because <laughs> they would scream louder. So I'd come back, and I'd be like, hey, you're really getting at it, man. You're, like, excellent at this fit stuff. I'm going to have to shut the door, though, because... I still can't hear. So, but, you know, whenever you're ready, you come on out. We're ready for you. We miss you out there. Like, I hope you're done soon. I would shut the door, and then we'd go back and play Xbox or whatever. 
And then, you know, I'd come back after a while, it'd get quieter. And then you come back, you open the door, and they're like, are you ready to come out now? Okay, well, come on out. You want to come play with me? Yeah, that's great. And just move on. Now, that worked for us. I think we had, it took like two, three weeks of doing this consistently, 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 and it worked. But the problem some of you are going to have is if you've already given in, like we never gave in to fit throwing. Uh, grandparents aside, they're a different story. <laughs> we never, <laughs> but Lee and I, we, we didn't give in to that. You throw a fit, you're not getting what you want. So, but if you have given in to it, it might take three months. But if you're consistent, and if you're not screaming back, and if you're not getting upset, look, they're upset. Let them be upset. You can't change how they feel. But go do it somewhere else where you're not invading our space. Um, that's not cool. And so that's, that's what worked for us. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe some of you were thinking, uh, my spouse is too big to do this, Pastor Ron. <laughs> This sounds like a fantastic plan, but I don't think I could pick up my husband and put him in our room and shut the door. <laughs> I don't think I could pick up my wife and put her in the room and shut the door, because um, I know where you're going with this, right? You're, some of you are like, well, how do I do this with my spouse? Your spouse, your partner, the person you are dating, brace yourselves, is not a child. And you're like, well, you don't know my spouse. You have never met them, Pastor Ron. Obviously, you don't know the people that I date, okay? So if you are in a dating relationship and you are dating a child, good news, stop. Like, just stop. Like, get out of that. In fact, uh, meet me after the service. We'll just text them. You shouldn't break up with texts, but in this case, I think it's fine. They're childish anyways. They won't know any better. Um, just be like, it's over. Sorry. Block them, you know. Uh, you don't need to be in a relationship with a child. Um, that's creepy. Uh, it's weird. Um, so, but they're supposed to be an adult. When you're in a relationship with someone, they're supposed to be an adult. And you're supposed to be an adult in a relationship with another adult. And it's not your job to parent them. It is not your job to parent them. It's not my job to parent my wife. Doesn't that sound super disrespectful and idiotic when I... Even say the words parent, my, like that's just sexist and misogynistic and all kind of thing. It's not your job to parent your husband. That's, that's no, ugh. we're not supposed to do that. And yet it's easy to fall into this thing where it's like, well, your behavior is so terrible. I need to like discipline you. I need to like get you to stop. I need to like do whatever I need to do. That same like child psychology stuff. I need to try a little bit on you because this, woof, we got to knock this off, buddy. No. No, they're not a child. It's not your job to make sure that they are not spoiled brats. That's their job. That's God's job. Your job is to not be a spoiled brat yourself. That's your responsibility in the relationship. To not insist on your own way. And by the way, not insisting on your own way is the quickest way to find out how self-seeking the person you are interested in is. By being selfless and giving and not insisting on your own way and being a grown-up adult that serves and gives and serves and takes care of other people, that's the quickest way to find out if the person you're interested in or dating is a selfish jerk. Because if you give and give and give and give and they take and they take and they take and they take, you should run 
and run and run and run. Okay? You're like, what? I'm married. What do I do now? If you choose to not be self-seeking and he or she returns the favor in a dating relationship, well then maybe you found someone with the kind of character that's, that's worth spending some more time with. Okay? And if you're in a marriage relationship with a taker, then you have to decide where your boundaries are. And you're going to need the Holy Spirit for that. It would be good to talk to a marriage counselor about that. There's a fantastic book called Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. I highly recommend. But you have to find where your boundaries are. And not just doing because someone uh, expects it of you all the time, but doing it because you want to serve and because you are a follower of Christ. And when that gets all twisted and mixed up, you've got problems. So don't parent your spouse. That's not love. Do not parent your spouse. It's not love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, the next one is, love is not irritable. Love is not irritable. It's not easily provoked. The word irritable in Greek means provoked or stirred. Stirred. You know, and people used to say, I was so stirred up. You know, they really stirred me up. And kind of nowadays we say, like, I got fired up. You know, I got, they got me so mad. They made me so mad I wanted to scream. Love doesn't get wound up or ticked off easily. It doesn't. Love can listen. Love can absorb. Love can absorb. Sometimes you have to sit and take it in and not reflect it. If you're going to be in any kind of loving relationship that works, you need to have the ability to sit and listen while somebody says stuff that just sets off all your bells and whistles. Because it's communication. You need to be able to sit and listen and take it in and not immediately reflect it back. If you immediately reflect it back, you're going to have big, big problems. Sometimes you have to take it in and not reflect it. We've all seen liquid be absorbed by a sponge. Energy can be absorbed as well. In a difficult conversation with someone you love, there are times when you have to absorb their energy. You have to be a heat sink for the relationship. You know, you just absorb the heat and then you disperse it and say, okay, I see what's going on here. You are obviously upset about something. And, and you need to understand this. Love puts the other person's story above their own. Because love remembers that everybody's behavior makes perfect sense in their own mind. Everybody's behavior makes perfect sense in their head. So they're responding, they're behaving in a way that seems perfectly normal, makes perfect sense for them, even though you think they're insane, <laughs> right? How could you ever do this? How could you ever think that? How could you ever say that? Well, obviously, they got some kind of storm, they got some kind of thing going on inside of them that makes that seem normal and okay and like a, a good response. And love remembers that. It remembers that sometimes we don't have all the information Sometimes we have a story in our head that's not in their head. Have you ever had mismatched stories? You know, I thought we were doing this. Well, I said we were doing this. No, you didn't. And, I, and all it is is just different expectations, you know, fighting and clashing. Besides, she may push your buttons, but those are your buttons. They're your buttons. You control the buttons. 
there's one thing you control in a relationship, it's your buttons. Nobody can wrestle the remote out of your hands and be like, I'm going to control you, ha ha ha, okay? They could do all kinds of things because it know, they know it sets you off and you've got it like a big anger button and you, you know, it's, it's easy to press and you have a hair trigger and then they could control you, but you, you have the buttons. They could do something, they can say something and then you're gonna be like, all right, I'm pushing the anger button, here we go, I'm in. But you don't have to let them push the buttons. You control your own buttons. That's what self-control is. That's what an adult is. A little child, they can't control their fit. It's just a natural thing. I'm just going to throw, I just cry. Ever since I was born, when I was dirty, I cried. When I was hungry, I cried. When I wanted something, I cried and screamed. And now we're growing into toddler and, and young child, and they have to learn different ways of managing their own emotions, managing their own wants and needs. That's growing up. It's maturing. You know, some of us, when I didn't get what I want, I got angry. And you saw that at home? You experienced that? You did that? I got angry and I yelled and we screamed and then we went away in a separate corner and then we come back later and just pretend like everything was fine. That's immature. That's not love. That's a way of dealing with things in your home and you could do that but it's not love. It's not Christ following. And it's not going to take you where you want to go. Are you easily angered? That's an issue for you. You need to practice absorbing, understanding, and listening. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but Ron, when the right person shows up, they're not going to push my buttons. Like, they're going to be great. They're not going to push my buttons. It's going to be fine. I won't have this problem when the right person comes around. But that's the myth. Remember the right person myth is that you don't have to do anything to prepare that when you meet the right person, everything will be great. And that's just not true. That's not true at all. It's a myth. Next, in 1 Corinthians 13.5, love is not resentful. Resentful means bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. And how do you know you're being treated unfairly? Because you're keeping score. Because you're keeping score. Because you're a scorekeeper. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And the funny thing about relational record keepers is they rarely keep track of their own misdeeds. Right? Some of you guys are relational record keepers and you're like, no, 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 I know I'm not perfect. Uh, but you rarely keep track of your own wrongs. Do you enjoy catching your spouse or significant other messing up? I got you. I got you. I knew it. Do you enjoy that? That's messed up. That's messed up. That's not cool. And I've got some of that in me. Right? If last week was, was patience, I got a little bit of that in me. And it's not cool. It's not, it's not cool. And so when I think about it, why do I do that? What is going on there? What's going on inside of me? Maybe, maybe this is going on inside of you. Number one, I'm just trying to help. I really do want to help. So you said you don't want to do that, and so I'm calling you on it, which means I'm just parenting them, right? I'm trying to help. I'm trying to fix it. Oh, well, I'm parenting them. I'm taking responsibility for something that, that's theirs to carry. And I'm calling them on it. 
ha, got you. You said you weren't going to do it. Ah, there you are. <laughs> That's parenting, and it's terrible parenting, by the way. <laughs> Nasty parenting. I think sometimes it's that I'm try- in my mind I'm trying to help, but I'm trying to help in a way that's that's not honoring. Number two, I think, is insecurity. I think sometimes you know it's easy to think, and I can think this. It's only a matter of time before they discover how unlovable I really am. So I need to have enough ammo to defend myself when they point out I'm not worth loving. And if you have that anxiety, you have that insecurity inside of you, that's not just a thing that hurts you. That's a thing that can hurt others because then you're going to be a scorekeeper and so then you've got to keep a big tally so that when they attack you, you've got a list. Oh yeah? Well you did this, and you did this, and you did this, and you did this. Or you've got to keep them on their toes and so you're always constantly pointing out things just to keep them from growing too big from having too much spotlight, from feeling too good. That's some insecurity stuff. It's ugly. And it's not good. And and that's not who you want to be. And maybe you don't realize that's what's going on, but if that's you, you need to deal with it. Keeping score is counterproductive to love. Keeping score doesn't promote love. Keeping score kills love. And God doesn't do that to you. Forgiving and pretending to forget is your best bet. And why do I say pretending to forget? Because we have this, this verse, we have these two verses, one in Hebrews 8, 12, it says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So God says, I'm not going to remember the things that you did wrong. But then in another, another place in Matthew 12, he says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. So how can God judge the things I've said and done if He doesn't remember them? Oh, <laughs> it melts your brain a little bit. What's going on there? Well, the reality is, if you believed on Jesus and you confessed in your heart, confessed with your mouth, that He is coming to your heart and He is your Savior. And you don't have to worry about condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You don't have to worry about going to hell because you've asked Jesus into your heart and you've become his disciple. And someday, though, you will give account for how you have done John 15. How you have loved others. How you have treated others because that's Jesus' big command. How have you taken the gospel you have received, applied it to your heart, and then treated other people. How have you done that? Someday you're going to give account for that. The judgment. And you're going to get that from a judge. Who gives judgment? Judges, right? Judges give judgment. And God will give judgment and it will still be in love. When a judge takes off their robes, they take off their role of judge, right? They're no longer the judge. They're not sitting on the thing. They don't have the robes. They don't have the gavel and all that good stuff. And they put on a different role. And God's role with us now is Father. His role with us now is Father. And He chooses not to open the filing cabinet of wrongs that you have done to bring them up every time 
something goes wrong. Every time you do something wrong, every time. He doesn't open the filing cabinet because he's not wearing the judge robes. That's for another time, and we will give account. But in this season, we have grace and mercy, and it's a teaching time. It's a teaching time for us to learn to be followers of Jesus. He chooses not to open the filing cabinet and bring up your past. Why? Because it's the loving thing. It's the good thing, and God believes this is the best thing for you, for your relationship with God. So when do you have the responsibility to be the judge? When is it your responsibility to be the judge in your relationships? It's a trick question. As Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. So in fact, we're never supposed to wear the black robes doesn't mean that we don't have wisdom and judge whether a relationship is healthy for us or toxic for us. We need to do that, but I don't ever get to stand over Kim and be like, because you did this, because you said that you're so wrong and you're scum and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not my job. It's not my role. It's not my role in his life. I'm not his judge. Someday he'll stand before God and he'll have to answer for everything that he's done and how he's treated other people. And my wife will stand before God and have to talk to God about how she treated me. And I'll stand before God and talk to God about how I talked to her at supper time last night. And I will have to give an account. And God will be gracious. He will be kind. He will be merciful. But he will also judge. And the things that I have done that are great will stand. And the things that I have done that are not will burn up. And it will be revealed who my true character is. And when you are not the judge, then love says, don't open the record on someone else. It's not your business. In your relationship with your spouse, when is it appropriate to be the judge to open the filing cabinet? Never. It's not. It's not our job. It's never our job. We are to forgive and then pretend to forget. We put it behind us. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to bring it up. And I say pretend to forget because some of you can't really, you're not really good at forgetting. I'm fantastic at forgetting. I can't remember anything. <laughs> um, I think that's some of the ADD. But um, it, if you have trouble and things just come into your mind, you say, oh, I'm just going to push that. I'm not going to bring that up. That would be against the rules of engagement. So I'm not going to bring that up. Remember, you can be exactly right and end up exactly alone. You could be so right and so alone. I often say in marriage, you can either be happy or you could be right. Think about it. Besides, it's a power play. When someone holds your past over you, who's in the elevated position? Who's in the elevated position? It's, it's the person that's holding your past over you. Love is not about powering up. Love is about stepping down. In Philippians 2.7, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Love's not about powering up. Love is about stepping down. Jesus did this. He powered down for others' sake. And it's time to retire the robes, to put the gavel away. If you're a record keeper, if you're a scorekeeper, if you track what's fair and not, then it's time to put that away. Paul's final descriptions of love are best taken together 
as one big game-changing idea. In 1 Corinthians 13, 6 and 7, it says, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Paul's final descriptions of love are best taken together. And it keeps, love protects. It protects. It keeps the bad things out and the good things in. And if you smuggle bad things into a relationship for your satisfaction, not telling them what's going on, hiding, then you're not being a good person to the other person. You are not protecting the relationship. Love always trusts. It always hopes. It always endures or perseveres. Love chooses to see and believe the best while choosing to overlook the rest. Love catches people doing the right thing and rejoices in it with the truth. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Ha ha ha, I got you. It rejoices in the truth. Love chooses a generous explanation. So here's the fine print. Love is patient, kind. It's not jealous. It's not arrogant. It's honoring. It's selfless. It's not easily angered. It's not a scorekeeper. It's protecting. It's trusting. It's hopeful. And it's persevering. And you may think, I will never be all of those, Pastor Ron. I will never, ever be all of those. So, I get it. Let's just accept you're not going to be all of those. I'll reread the list and you tell me which of the things on the list you, you're okay with your spouse not having. The person you're dating to not have. Okay? Maybe you sit down with your spouse this afternoon and be like, you know what? I'm not very trusting. I'm just not really good at trusting, so I'm not going to trust you. And then they'd be like, well, that's fine. I get that. Like, that's cool. Like, I'm not kind, so I'm just going to be unkind to you. Like, are we good with that? Like, and then you could just, like, go through the list. You could cross off some things, you know? You'd be like, okay, so I'm really selfish, and I want to stay that way, and I like selfishness, and, like, it's all about me, and it's really, it's, like, really hard to think about others. So... Um, I'm going to stay selfish. And they're like, that's fantastic. I am super dishonoring. Like, I'm going to like call you names and like trash talk you behind your back. Like, can we come to an agreement on that? Is this not the marriage you want, Carly? Like, you seem like you're just like, (laughs) that seems like it's not going to work. So what... If you're dating or you're, you're married, which, which things on the list are you cool with your spouse not working on? Patience? Kindness? Not being jealous? You know, I'm just going to like ask you and like freak out anytime you talk to anybody. Because, you know, they're, they're, oh, they're your friend now. And oh, who was she? You know, and what? I'm just going to like every, like I'm just going to freak out, like wig out every time you talk to anybody. You cool with that? No, not arrogant, honoring, selfless, not easily angered. You're going to have to walk on eggshells our whole marriage. Like, I'm just, I've got a temper. Like, what can I do? Not a scorekeeper, protecting, 
I'm not going to protect our relationship. I'm going to invite just anybody into our home, any kind of things, you know. No. Trusting, hopeful, and persevering. Now that you know what you're looking for, maybe you should get busy preparing for the relationship that you hope to be in someday. If you're married, I hope this list will make you the person that the person who married you was hoping for. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, and this is our last Scripture, says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, when I became an adult, I put away childish things, childish ways. I said several times that you are not your spouse's parent, and that's right. That is the right language. So back to the list. This is how we behave childish. And if you have, if you struggle with anything on the list, you're struggling with childishness and immaturity. And that's the reality. This is how we behave childish. Children are impatient and unkind, and jealous and arrogant and dishonoring and selfish. And we've got to teach that out of them and discipline that out of them. I mean, that's, that's kind of how we start. We're, children are easily angered. They're a scorekeeper. That's unfair. That's not fair. Like, I mean, it's happening in the nursery or in the toddler room. I guarantee somebody's telling somebody that something's not fair. Children are careless because they haven't, their brains haven't developed to think about how to be careful. They're untrusting. Oh, I don't know. I'm not going to shake his hand. You don't get a fist bump. Children are cynical. And children give up easily. So let's grow up. To be a church where broken people find hope, we have to be mature. and We have to grow up in our love for each other. So are you willing to abandon the assumption that once you meet the right person, everything's just going to be fine and you don't have work to do? Are you ready to do the difficult work of becoming the person the person you're looking for is looking for? I hope so. And somebody else hopes so as well. So each week I've given us some discussion questions. These have been really powerful for me. If you go out to eat after lunch or you go eat, um, or after church you go to lunch and you talk, these are great questions to talk through. Our small group talked through these this week. So here's, here's um, some three new questions for this week that I want you to think about. What childish notions or assumptions about love did you carry into adulthood? What childish assumptions did you carry into adulthood? Where do you have work to do? Are you self-seeking? Are you easily angered? Are you the scorekeeper? And are you protective? Do you protect the relationship or, or do you flirt? Do you allow other things to come in? Or do you not spend time together? Do you not do the work to make sure that your relationship is strong? Are you able to believe the best and overlook the rest. And I'll add a freebie, a bonus question. Because we went around last week and we asked, okay, um, since we're close friends, uh, many times in small group, you know, what do we think that we struggle with? And some of us didn't know what we struggle with, so we're like, well, what do you guys think? What, what, do I, what am I not good at? So we would point out some things. This week, maybe point out some of the things. What are you good at? On the list, what are you really good at? What are you fantastic? I can put that list back up there in case you want what are you really good at? Maybe tell each other, you know what, you are really patient. I've never once thought you were jealous. 
You are always trusting. You have always protected our relationship. And you can start speaking some blessings into your relationship too. And that's a really awesome thing. We'll be back next week with this series. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for pushing me. Thank you for not letting me stay a child. Thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit that speaks to me and doesn't let me stay still. And thank you for a church, family, and a body who values growth, who values growing as disciples of Jesus. God, I pray we would work on this stuff this week. Don't let us be embarrassed when these areas that we fail. Help us to admit it and say, man, I really struggle with this. Help us to start acknowledging it and pointing it out in ourselves so that we could start working on it. God, we trust you. We know your Holy Spirit will teach us this stuff. We know your, your word is full of all kinds of illustrations and ideas on how to approach it. And God, we, we trust our community is going to push each other and love each other in a way that, that helps us to be more loving. Helps us to be loving like 1 Corinthians, not loving like, like the movies. Help us to honor one another. Help us to take off the judge robes. Help us to grow up. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our ushers could come forward, please. Each week, we take up an offering. If you're visiting with us, we'd love that card you filled out. Um, you can either throw that in the offering plate or you can stop out front at the uh, desk and um, we have a few mugs left. I think there's only three mugs left. We'd love to give you a mug, a CBC mug if we have any more available, um, and give that to you and your family. Um, if this is your home church, this is your opportunity to give, to support the ministries here, so that we can help broken people find hope. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to give. As we exercise our giving muscles of generosity, we pray that you would receive this and use it to help broken people find hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Love.